You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. Provided for you in your bulletin. Uh, We want to make sure you can see the scriptures and uh, make sure I'm preaching the truth to you. And if you don't have the notes or if you're watching online, you can also go uh, to your smartphone, download the Version Bible app. That's Y-O-U version. Click on the More tab, tap events, uh, find Mount Carmel Baptist Church and click on the 11 o'clock service. And most of the notes, quotes and references and fill in the blanks that you have in your bulletin are provided for you there as well. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 I want to preach a message that I've entitled, the title's not new at all, but Resident Evil. Resident Evil. Are you evil? Of course not. There are over 7 billion people on this planet and I've not killed or murdered. In fact, I went over to my little old lady neighbor house the other day and set up her internet connection. You're like, how could I be evil? Well, we may not be evil in the same degree as Adolf Hitler or Osama bin Laden. But what if I told you that you have it within you? Do you know what you're really capable of? What's the evilest thing you've done? We sometimes speak of being shocked by people's behavior. But I would contend to you that if you can't imagine it, you're capable of doing it. Are you willing to confront the evil within? And isn't it odd, the tension that we humans experience, that we can build churches and drop bombs. We develop intensive care units for the critically ill and use the same technology to torture our enemies. There's something unique about us. In Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul has filed his final charge against all of humanity. People are not inherently good. And and I need you to write that down, underline it. uh, Because it's one of the ways in which the Christian worldview, Christian thought, differs from every other thought and secularism. We do not believe people are inherently good. All humanity is under Sin, And when Paul talks about being under sin, he is saying that we're all in the grip of evil. We're dominated by uh, sin's dread sway. We experience spiritual decomposition. We are collaborators with evil. We exist in a state that theologians call, and we discussed this last week. If you missed the sermon, please go back and watch it. But it's called total depravity. This means evil itself affects every part of our being. Not that we're as bad as we could be, but that every aspect of our lives, totally, including our mind, emotions, sexuality, conscience, and will, is adversely affected by sin. Our whole nature is permeated with evil. Our relationships with one another also suffer because society can be no better than those who constitute it. We see, this is important, 
We see the devastating effects of sin, but sin itself is deceitful. We're blind to it. It has stealth. While we can point out the brokenness and fallenness in this world, what we can't see behind it is sin. We don't naturally point out our most basic problem. Our souls are deprived of the power to resist sin and evil. We inevitably sin. Sin lives in people and people live in sin. That's what I mean by the collaboration. And this is a bold claim. Some may consider it an outrageous claim. But this is what the Bible says. It's a serious charge. And what proof is there? What are the symptoms of this sickness? What are the evidences that we are residences of evil? Look at Romans chapter 3, and we're going to look this morning at verses 10 through 12. Notice what it says. As it is written. As it is written. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. The main idea that I want us to unpack from this passage today, and you can write this down, we all are residences of evil. That evil lives inside of each and every human being, you and I. We all are residences of evil. And what we're going to ask is, what is the proof? The Apostle Paul begins to unveil the power of sin. That you and I are haunted continually by evil. And notice how Paul begins. He says, as it is written as it is written the following is not my statement or Paul's statement prosecutor Paul has called none other than God himself as the final witness against humanity this is God's statement God has looked down from heaven upon humanity and whatever he discovers he will disclose He is free from uncharitableness and injustice. There is no motive in God to paint the picture any better or worse than it is. He's going to tell you the truth. He's going to tell you exactly how He sees us. And what you're going to see in this is that God sees the effects of total depravity. He is going to call each member of your body, every body part you have, is a servant of sin. That's how God sees it. And I want to encourage you, as we go through these, please go home, when you go home, and research the context of these original quotations that Paul gives. Here's evidence number one, and I'll share with you where he gets it from. Evidence number one, write it down. No one is continually righteous and does good. No one is continually righteous and does good. This quotation, like most of Paul's, comes from the Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint. And it's been taken from 
two places. Psalm 14, 1 through 3. Psalm 14, 1 through 3. And then there's a parallel passage in Psalm 53, 1 through 3. Almost identical. Psalm 53, 1 through 3. Now, if you go back and if you'll go do this and compare those Psalm passages to Paul's text, you will notice one significant difference between the Psalm text and Paul's text right here. The psalmist says, there is no one who does good. And Paul here, notice what he says, there is no one who is righteous. He makes an alteration. Paul quotes, there is no one righteous. A few commentators think that what Paul is doing, he's actually wedding together another passage of Scripture. It's from Ecclesiastes 7.20. Ecclesiastes 7.20 There is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right and never sins. And never sins. The point is, Paul wants to emphasize righteousness. Now catch what this means. God is looking down over humanity. He looks over every person. And he says this, No one is right with me. Not a single one. Now, will you please just catch that and let that hit the pit of your soul? It doesn't matter what you think in this instance. We actually have God's witness, and He is saying, You're not right with me. No one has ever lived a perfect life, not perfect in every thought, affection, word, and deed. From God's point of view, none of us are righteous or are right with God. And in fact, he goes even further to say, no one does good. We talked about this last week, that if there's any good that happens in society, if there's any restraint of evil, it is due to God's what we call common grace. That if God didn't give a grace over all of humanity, we would rip one another apart. And here's the unique thing when he talks about there is no one who does good, not even one. The literal idea is there is no one who shows kindness. You're like, wait a minute, pastor, I know somebody who's kind. The idea of kindness is benevolence in action. Benevolence in action. We have a benevolence ministry right here at Mount Carmel. What's benevolence? It's where we take our resources and help those who are without or in adverse circumstances, right? But let's just be honest. Can we ever compare our kindness or benevolence to the kindness or benevolence of God? It is incomparable. How many times have you shown kindness to someone, and even after you've shown kindness, you've thought, well, I probably could have did a little bit more. I could have done better. I could have been more kind. I could have been more gracious. I couldn't have done it as begrudgingly, right? I couldn't have done it with a caveat, you got to realize when we talk about kindness, God talks about showing kindness and he did it by bankrupting heaven and sending his one and only son. He didn't spare anything in showing kindness to us. And his son bled and died naked on a cross to erase your sin. That's kindness. Let's just be honest. If that's kindness, we have done no good. None. Evidence number two. No one understands and seeks God. No one understands and seeks God. In this age of scientific progress and advanced technology, even Brother Richie and I were talking about it before service, how my dad just had this amazing open heart surgery, how they can stitch you back together and he's up and running again. It's really amazing. Humankind has a brilliant intellect, yet 
when it comes to spiritual things, we are spiritually clouded. Cannot see it. We display a remarkable denseness when it comes to the things of God. The damage wrought by evil and sin within us runs deep into the very roots of how we think. Our imaginations are evil. That's what the Bible says. What we imagine is evil. Our spiritual deductions and conclusions are false. Put this together. Do you and I really think we realize how abhorrent sin is to God? Do you really think we comprehend somehow the holiness of God? Do you and I really live in light of the reality that there's only two alternatives when we breathe our last breath of life, heaven and hell? Because if we really understood those things, people would be pounding down church doors to hear the gospel. And that's not the case. The Bible pretty much tells us when it comes to understanding things, we just think better than animals. We have not thought the faults of God or walked the ways of God. So God looks down over humanity and says, no, not one. There's not a single one that understands. Well, then maybe, maybe we'll at least go search for him. He says, no one seeks God. The word seek here is a determined search. Have you ever lost anything in your house and you've tore it apart trying to find it? That's what we mean by seek. It's not this casual, when I have time, when I'm at this spot. We talk about seeking something. It's a determined search. And in this instance, if the object of our search is God, it is a desire to know the true God, to find and enjoy Him forever, a desire to worship, appreciate, and rejoice in who He is. You ring to tell me humanity is determined to find this God? No, they're not. And let's just even be more frank, Christians. We have the Holy Spirit living in us that helps bowl up a, a, a true hunger and thirst for God. And sadly, we as Christians can't find five minutes in a day to open up God's Word. And you're going to tell me humanity seeks after God? Our interest is everywhere but God. That's who we are. Evil resides in us. And the third evidence that God gives is we all have turned away and become worthless. Oh, that's hard to hear. God says you've turned away and you are worthless. The word turned aside means more than just accidentally miss your way. It means to deviate. We see the same word used in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. Listen to what Peter says. Turn away from evil and do good. So it's not a happenstance. Like, well, hey, if you happen to not do evil, great. No, it's a concerted effort, right? It's a deliberate avoidance of evil. Read that into this context. We all have turned away. It's not this, well, we just meandered off. No, we have deliberately avoided God. Think of it like this. You ever been out in public at a store and you see somebody you don't want to talk to because you know you'd be caught forever talking to them? I might be that guy for you. I don't know. And so what do you do? You get lost. You turn down an aisle. 
And I need you to see this. When it comes to our relationship with God, people are like, oh, yeah, like I'm, I'm pro-God. I love God. No, you aren't. You're lying. Because when God shows up, we go the opposite way. We turn away. It's deliberate avoidance. And then worthless or depraved. In, a, in an age that has so much difficulty understanding self-worth, it's hard to hear. God goes, yeah, you're worthless, you're depraved. It's used to describe food that has soured or meat that has spoiled. Now, when your food sours or your meat spoils, what do you do with it? You throw it away. You throw it away. It speaks of an irreversible process. Humanity is so far gone that in his unregenerate, unconverted state, he is not profitable to God. Useless. We cannot feel our God-given purpose as creatures made in his image. Kent Hughes put it this way. We're like fish that can't swim and birds that can't fly. We're creatures made in the image of God who can no longer reflect the Creator's image. What use are we? There's a clear distinction between God's attitude and viewpoint of our sin and our attitude and viewpoint of our sin. Habakkuk put it this way, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Because God, why haven't you wiped everybody out yet? We'll get to that. But you and I, we hug sin in our hearts. We play with sin. Where sin leads, we will follow. Yet God considers sin so heinous that just one sin merits death. God considered sin so heinous that the Only the death of his only begotten son could make him forget sin. Ask yourself, and this is where you got to put yourself to the test. Considering God's perspective, how well do you understand God? We don't. How diligently are you seeking God? We don't. How much goodness would God find in your daily life? None. Paul's point is that an honest look at the facts of sinfulness and evil residing in us will inevitably include you and me under God's judgment. We should come to the conclusion when we hear God's witness statement, we're under His judgment. We're under His wrath. Prosecutor Paul asked God as his witness, can you identify the perpetrator's Yes, he's in the courtroom. Can you point him out? And he points his finger at you and me. It's you and me. Now, get this, church. There is absolutely now nothing in us that is the basis for God saving us. He's done told us we're worthless. Worthless. There's nothing in you that I find worth saving. That's hard to hear. And here's the good news. And this is the great news. 
is that the basis of our salvation isn't our nature or character. The basis of our salvation is the nature and character of God himself. God is love. We are evil. God is love. But here's what happens. God goes, but I can make a choice to save you. You see how that works? We are not in and of ourselves lovely. He makes us lovely. You see the difference? We are not in and of ourselves good, but He can impart righteousness to us as a gift. It's not because we have any merit, but only because the grace of God are we saved. Catch this church. No one seeks God, but God seeks you. That's His divine initiative. That's who He is. Please, I will consider it a win today if you will just discern the grace of God in your life. God has been good to you and you don't realize it. He's been so good to you. Listen to what Luke 19.10 says. This is Jesus speaking. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus' favorite nickname for Himself, has come to seek and save the lost. We're sheep running in the opposite direction and our shepherd came down going, I'm chasing you down. I am. Luke 6, 44 through 45, listen to this. It says, No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has listened and learned from the Father comes to me. I need you to catch this. Can you just pause a minute and appreciate this? That if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and you've repented of your sins and you've experienced conversion, I need you to know that God has taught you that. God has. Flesh and blood can't teach that to people. Something supernatural has happened in your life. John 16, 8 says, when He comes, this is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Catch what He's saying. You and I can point out the effects of sin, the damage, the consequences, the brokenness, and the fallenness, but we're so deceived by sin, we won't call it what it is. And here's what the Holy Spirit does. He comes back and pulls back the blinds and our pride and say, what is it? And what do we say? It's sin. And it lives in me and it's everywhere. We would not come to that conclusion without the aid of the Holy Spirit. And so I need you to see, discern the grace of God. If you can see sin on some level, God is at work in you. Isn't that amazing? Acts 16, 18. This is Jesus speaking to the Apostle Paul. And Paul is explaining his ministry in light of Jesus' mission. Listen to what Jesus said. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. You say that we can't even see it. To open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Do you see that? that that's Jesus' mission. He wants to pull back the blindness. He wants to unveil the horror of sin and the glory of His cross and resurrection and that we would repent and turn out of darkness and be received into that kingdom. That's what He wants. 
And notice, that's not on anything because of us. That's because of who he is. And let's go one step further. Can you discern the grace that we as Christians get to participate in that mission? That when we proclaim the gospel from our churches and in our conversations, we're drawing back the the blinds. We're letting light come into darkness. You get to participate in that. John Owen, I don't agree with everything John Owen says, but he's right on this. He says, there is therefore an effectual, powerful, creating act of the Holy Spirit put forth in the minds of men in their conversion unto God, enabling them spiritually to discern spiritual things wherein the seed and substance of divine faith is contained. Did you catch what he says? That what the Holy Spirit does when we're converted is he is creating. Did you catch that? We don't have the capacity to do what he's about to do. He has to create a capacity to discern spiritual things. We don't discern spiritual things. When the Holy Spirit comes, He actually has to help you understand what spiritual things are. And so if you can discern spiritual things at all, that's the Holy Spirit working in your life. Discern sin, Martin Luther says, that you are altogether lost. And there's nothing good in us from head to foot, both within and without, and that we must become new and other men. That's what we have to be, new creatures. New creatures. And God wants to do that, make us new creations. I encourage you today, it's so hard, but tremble before the holiness of God. He is a holy God and will not tolerate sin. And then at the same time, Same time as we tremble. (laughs) Grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relief. The same grace that makes us tremble before the holiness of God because of our sin is the same grace that gives us the faith to receive the mercy, pardon, peace, forgiveness, and the quiet mind that comes from Jesus. Isn't that awesome? It's all of God. Christian, if the Holy Spirit resides in you and you can't be one without it, this can be the most difficult feature of the Christian life because you feel the tension. When you sin, you feel the shame, the guilt because you finally are beginning to wrestle with sin. Sin is is experiencing a fight for the first time in your life because the Holy Spirit is waging war against your evil that lives inside you. And he has given us a way out and to seek God. And so I know Christians, you feel defeated. But what I would say is this, other people don't even feel the fight. Do you catch that? They just go along with sin. With no consciousness, no condemnation with it. And so if you feel that, that fight, how difficult the Christian life is, I'm saying that's God at work in you. Be be happy. Rejoice. I know it's tough. But he's putting to death that sin within. John Phillips says this, The Bible likens men to lost sheep. For a sheep is an animal which is not smart, swift, nor strong, and which has no power or inclination to seek its shepherd once it has strayed. He says, and how much God has done. He has given us his son, the scriptures, and the spirit. 
to come get you. He has been good. J.C. Ryle, we've been reading this with some of the young men in our church, has some amazing things to say in this first part of his book. He says, tomorrow is the devil's day, but today is God's. The devil would love nothing more for you than just to wait another day. And he, Ryle goes on, he says, you may be careless about your soul, but the devil is not. Your bodies are not brass. Even young men, says Isaiah, stumble and fall. Your health may be taken from you in a moment. It only needs a fall, a fever, an inflammation, a broken blood vessel, and the worm would soon feed upon you in your grave. There is not, a, not but a step between any of you and death. This night your soul might be required of you. That's not fear-mongering. That's the truth. That's the truth. So you mean to tell me if you recognize today you're under the judgment of God and you're going to play with sin a little longer, not knowing, with no guarantee that you might step into eternity tonight. It's utter foolishness. Utter foolishness. Spurgeon, when he preached this text, he talked about this other text. He says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And this is what he said. He says, But I wish somehow that I could get a hold of the hand of you who hesitate, you who linger and say to you, Oh, dear friend, do seek the Lord. As you love yourself, do seek the Lord. As you would be happy, seek the Lord. As you would lead a life that shall be noble and pure, do seek the Lord. As you would stand without trembling when the heavens are on fire, seek the Lord. As you would live forever when the sun is turned into a black coal and the moon is like sackcloth of hair and the stars have fallen like withered leaves. As you would be eternally blessed, seek the Lord. I'm going to ask every head bowed and every eye closed. I believe it or I wouldn't preach it. That the Holy Spirit is present, convicting of sin, the righteousness of Christ, and the judgment that succumbed. He will give you the ability to spiritually discern those things. And the question is whether you will turn from your sin. And what we mean, we're not saying we're we're committing to perfection. (laughs) We understand that's not the reality. We're acknowledging we are sinners under God's judgment and changing our attitude towards sin that we cannot live in it any longer in some type of blessed existence. We're, We're no longer ignorant of it. We see it for what it is. And then by faith we receive the mercy of God through Jesus. The forgiveness, the grace, the love, the kindness, the power. And it's as simple as that. You go, what do I have to do? Acknowledge your sin, change your attitude toward it, and receive by faith the gift of Jesus. That's it. Because the work's not found in us, it's found in Him. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to model a prayer for you that you can use to call out to Jesus to confess your sin to Him and commit your life to Him. 
The question is, do you believe? Do you believe? Jesus is not dead. He is alive. He is the Son of God and hears our thoughts and whispers. Will you call out to Him? Just say this quietly in your heart to King Jesus. Say, Dear Jesus, I confess I am a sinner who deserves your judgment. But I believe you love me. You gave your one and only Son. And He bled and died for all my sin. And you rose from the grave to offer forgiveness, a changed heart, and eternal life in your name. And by faith, I receive that. And I give my life to you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to encourage you and teach you what the Bible tells us that Jesus says is our next step. It's baptism. Baptism does not save. doesn't save. What baptism does is it goes public about what you just did privately. You confessed you're a sinner and committed your life to Christ. And in baptism, we are showing and showing the world and the church that we identify with Jesus' death for our sins when we go under the water and when we come up out of the water. We are saying we identify and believe in Jesus' resurrection for our forgiveness and new life and eternal life. And if you've never been baptized, I've got to encourage you on that side of that tariff panel on the back, fill out the baptism check and drop it in the a drop box. Text believe to our text in church number 706-525-5351. Go to our website, click on the baptism tab. The reason I want to tell you those things, please give us an opportunity just to talk about it. That next step. The last thing that I want to do in our instrumental list, so they can begin to play. I want to read a prayer over you. I feel like this is the best way at this time to do any kind of altar call or, or time of reflection or meditation. And this is a prayer. I try to write these prayers or find these prayers for Christians, for those who profess faith in Jesus as Savior and God. And listen to this. It says, Heavenly Father, we recognize, as you say, there is nothing in ourselves that has accomplished salvation. It is the gift Jesus provided for us, giving us a righteousness, a peace, and a joy we could never earn. May we all grow in grace and not rely upon our performance as a basis of knowing whether or not we have a relationship with you. It is through your righteousness imparted to us that then makes our performance not a matter of earning merit with you, but a way of saying thanks to you for all you've done. This we ask in Jesus' name. We pray something like that in this time of reflection.
We thank you for your goodness toward us in Christ. For we can never fathom the sinfulness of sin. Your infinite holiness. How much we deserve the devil's hell. And then God on the, the flip side to think of your immense love for us. That it can overcome all of that. Uh, that you would not even spare your own son. You gave us a, a forgiveness uh, we didn't earn. Can't do anything for. Uh, the gift of your spirit. Just to know the spirit lives in us. Uh, as I mentioned, it's better than heaven just knowing that. So we thank you. Lord, help us to discern more and more of your grace in our lives. That we recognize every, every good thing comes from you. And then especially the goodness of salvation and the gift of the Spirit. We thank you for the opportunity to study your word and worship together. Build us up in the most holy faith and help us to make much of Jesus as we go out of here. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. We pray this in your strong name and all God's people say, Amen. I got just announcements before we sing one last song together, which I'm really excited to sing with you. Um, three things. One, if you want to RSVP for church, you can fill out the back of the tear-off panel. Uh, the next two Sundays are available. You can also text RSVP to our text and church number or visit our website and reserve your spot. That just helps us uh, social distance and follow the guidelines as best as possible. And then if you're also, if you're interested in being baptized or becoming a member of Mount Carmel, you can fill out those same things as well. I think you have to text CONNECT to our text and church number and then go to the membership tab on our website. You can fill those things out and I will be delighted to follow up with you about uh, orchestrating a time where you can be baptized or come forward for a church vote. Uh, Thank you so much for being here today. I will be online tonight at 6 o'clock, continuing our study uh, through a visual guide through the Bible as we finish up the Gospels uh, and then the Gospel of the Kingdom, all right? Brother Rick, will you come and lead us in this last uh, worship song? Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.